Thank you, Pastor Bob and Praise Team. Appreciate all that you guys do. Where have you felt most accepted? When you look back at your life and, and you think about circumstances, where, where have you felt the most acceptance in your life? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's in a, a church. Maybe it's in a friendship. Maybe it's in a coffee shop with somebody, a friend or something, just that, that you felt that, that love, that care. Where have you felt most accepted? I've been blessed to, to be part of a family where, where I felt really accepted in my family, that they loved me. And, and I know many of you feel the same way. I, I can remember my, my dad's family, uh, when my dad was actually born in Kentucky, I was surprised. And this, anybody in here born in Kentucky? We got any, any Kentuckians in here? Okay, we've got a few. Uh, you guys are you embarrassed to raise your hand if you were born in Kentucky? I don't know. If you go in the southern part of Ohio, you go in certain areas, and I ask if, if you'd be born in Kentucky, almost everybody in the congregation would be from Kentucky, and it makes you wonder how anybody's still left in the state of Kentucky. It seems like they all leave. But uh, my dad's family was from Kentucky, Barbersville, Kentucky, and... Um, Actually, they were originally from Mills, Kentucky, on Stinkin' Creek in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, it was a, just a beautiful place to live, I'm sure. Uh, but, but we would go down and see my dad's family in Barbersville, Kentucky. And it's easier to travel with kids when they're asleep. And all God's people said, amen. And so dad would get, up at, get us up at midnight and put us in the car or 1 o'clock in the morning. And he'd drive all night and drive to his family in Kentucky. And we used to go down, and I've tried to figure this out. I... I am um, 53 years old. To some of you thinking, man, I didn't realize he was almost ready to die. And some of you are thinking, I'm real young. I understand that. But I'm 53 years old. So this was in the 60s. And I can remember driving to Barbersville, Kentucky. And I know 75 South had to be uh, pretty much done by a good part at the late 60s at least. But I can remember going down 25A Dixie Highway. Anybody been down 25A Dixie Highway? It's like very, very curvy, okay? You see where you've been when you're driving, okay? And so I can remember going down 25A, going down Dixie Highway to, to Kentucky. I can remember crossing over on the ferry boat over the Ohio River instead of crossing the bridge. It was kind of a cool thing. And I can remember driving down there. At one point, my grandparents had a general store on the side of the 25A, and I loved staying there. We would sleep on their back porch, all of us together, and, and they had they had candy in their general store. It was that little cheap stick candy that's just like awesome, okay? And I can remember Grandpa letting us go get stick candy and I can just remember the, the feeling of home. But then I remember they, they bought this big white house in Barbersville, Kentucky. And, and we would drive down there. We'd get there in the morning and my, my aunts and uncles would be there and they were all loving. We have a picture of my aunts and uncles showing love to each other somewhere yeah, with, you know, knives. Uh, you know, that, that is how breakfast is served in Kentucky in the morning. You know, just all sorts of love. And, and my grandfather would be there. I have a picture of me and my sister with my grandfather. Now, right now, he's really mad at me. Can you see it on his face? You know, he's, he's real, I must have done something. He's mad. Go to the next picture. Now he's laughing hilariously. Uh, my grandfather's expression didn't change much. You know, one expression was the same. But we'd go into this house, and my aunts and uncles, because they knew Bob was coming with his family, my aunts and my uncles, my Uncle Virgil, my Uncle Ben, my, my Aunt Bonnie, my, 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 my Aunt Eula. My, yeah, her name was Eula. And they, they would all gather around, and I can remember my aunts carrying me into the house. And, and then we would have breakfast. 
I think this is what heaven's going to be like, the, the Kentucky breakfast. You'd have fried chicken for breakfast, and it wasn't fried chicken from KFC or anything like that. My grandmother had went out and wrung some chicken's neck that morning and made that fried chicken. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have fried chicken if we had to do that, right? But she had made it fresh. There'd be pork chops and ham and biscuits and gra- Who's hungry now? I, I think Let's just go to Bob Evans and get breakfast. And it'd be this big table with all the food and all the family. And there'd, there'd be laughter. There'd be a lot of smoke. Uh, this was Kentucky in the 60s and 70s. And, and I guess they didn't know as much about nicotine as we know then. So there was a lot of pipes, a lot of cigars, a lot of smoke. So it was kind of a foggy environment. But it was full of love. Just total acceptance. And when I think about a place, you know, my, my family was that. My churches have been that as well. But, but when I think back of that place and that time and, and coming in and being embraced and being loved, that, that is a place where I felt like I was a part. I was accepted. You know, the, the church, as we're going through this series, one of the things I want us to see is the church needs to be that place where anyone can come and they can feel loved, accepted, protected, apart. And so we're talking about life together, and we're going through life together, and we're, we're really working through a core value that, that our church has, that, that we believe is a core value of our church, and that's transformational through relational discipleship. In other words, we, we don't believe that it's sufficient, that it's enough to just gather in big gatherings, but it's somehow in the midst of relationship with one another that we're, we're truly formed in the image that Christ has in mind for us, that it's through, the, that it's through family that we're, we find our identity, through this Christian family, through the church that we find our Christian identity, and that's the importance of the local church. Now, when we talk about church, I'm not talking about some theoretic, theological concept of church. I'm talking about this church, this local body of believers. And and when God talks about church, when the Bible talks about church, there is this ideal of the overriding concept of the church, but there is also this significant local body. And so when I'm talking about church in this series, I'm not just talking about the body of Christ universal. I'm talking about Marysville Church of the Nazarene, this local body of believers. That God has, do you believe this? That God has something in mind, that in God's mind, in God's vision, he has something significant that he wants to see happen through this body, this, this local church. So we're talking about life together. And we're, you know, as, as, as we think about the church, the, it, and I think as we think about the local church, there's a lot of images that, that come to mind. We can think of a building, and, and actually there is a reference in the Bible where the church is a building. Now, now not just a, a brick and stone building or a, a, you know, a structure, but we are a building, God's building where his temple resides. There, there's the image of the bride, and, and Amy, one those songs we sang today were all references as to a bride and, and being prepared prepared for, for Jesus. There's, there's a reference to a field, that the church is like a field, and what we see the church referred to as the body of Christ. 
And, and I love that image. This local body, I don't think he's just talking about the, the church universal, but this local body can become the body of Christ to this community. And so yesterday when we're, we're doing a, a fall fun fest, and we, we are visibly meant to be Jesus Christ to our community in the midst of things like that. And next series after this one is, is Jesus here. And we're going to talk about the ideal that we are as a church and we are as individuals meant to be Jesus here. There's this high expectation of the gospel, and, and, and we are a continuation of the incarnation that we find in Jesus Christ. Christmas is not a one-time part in history. It's not a date on the calendar, but it's a change in the move of God. And through the, and the event of Pentecost, God's Holy Spirit wants to indwell God's people so that God is always present with His people through embodied humans, <laughs> through us. We are Jesus here. Not, not, not that we become Jesus, but the Holy Spirit indwells us and we can become the body of Christ. Now, you guys aren't as excited about that as I am, I can tell, but I'm I'm excited about that. We should be excited about that. That that should be something that that sets us on our ears, that gets us on our feet when we think that the God of the universe wants to indwell us, fill us with His Holy Spirit so that we can be Jesus to Marysville, Ohio, to a land that is distraught because of the loss of their beloved Buckeyes. We can be Jesus today, okay? We can show the love of God. But another image of the church is this. The church is meant to be family. (laughs) The local church is meant to be family. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together as growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, other translations. And my, my translation says we are God's household, but uh, other translations, particularly the New Living Translation, says you are members of God's family. So, so the local church is a physical manifestation of God's family on earth. Now, now we see this imagery throughout the Bible. This ideal of the people of God being the family of God is not new to the, to the New Testament. It's, throughout, it's not even just in Ephesians. It's, it's throughout the biblical record. You find in the Old Testament references where, where God will talk about Israel as being his child. And he'll, he'll use language like, when Israel was a child, I taught them how to walk. And, and so this imagery of God the Father and, and God as mother and God as parent and, and, and the church or the body of believers or those following God as family is throughout Scripture. Jesus often refers to God as God his Father. And he uses the reference of Abba Father, dear Father, this, this close daddy father, this, this close reference to, to God. And, and, and then there's this, this imagery of, of us being adopted. So throughout the biblical record, you have this ideal of the people of God being the family of God, the, the sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are brothers with Jesus Christ. And And God is our Father. The local church, 
the local church, this church, Marysville Church of the Nazarene, is intended to be God's family on this earth. Now, we're not the only family. You know, I'm not saying we're the only church. Don't, don't ever mishear me. I, I am thankful for every other group of believers that meets in this community where people are finding relationship with Christ. Praise the Lord for Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists and Catholics. Wherever people are finding relationship with Jesus Christ, I say praise the Lord, okay? But I'm thankful for this church as well. That, 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 that we're not an accident, that we're not a side note in, in the view of God, but God has a significant vision and purpose for this church for us to be the family of God located at 1126 North uh, Maple Street in Marysville, Ohio. So what does it mean to be family? And we can all think back of our own family references. All of us will acknowledge no family is perfect, okay, right? Anybody live in a perfect family? <laughs> if you did, you, I'll, I'll probably point some things out. No family's perfect. We all have a level of dysfunction uh, in our families. My family, you know, I, I come from a great family, but, but man, there's lots of imperfections in our family. We're weird in a lot of ways. Every family has that strange aunt or uncle, right? If you can't think of who that strange aunt or uncle is, it's probably you. Um, so every family, you know, no family's perfect. And, and, and besides that, there's some families that even level on the, the, the on dysfunction. And, you know, even at our best, we're not perfect. And then there's some families that, that go to the level of dysfunction. And I realize in a congregation this size, uh, there's people from all spectrums. And so some of you, when you're talking about family, you don't think of uh, family as being good, maybe. And, and, and it's kind of difficult for you to understand what the good aspects of family are. You know, I, just as a side note, for those of you that, that maybe didn't have a family background, church is meant to be that family. Do, do you realize the significance of that? That, that God, for, for, for some people, that, that the first place they will really be loved and accepted is not in a physical family, but in the body of Christ, a local church will love them just like family. And, and I believe at our highest at our highest form, when God is really moving and working in his church, people will become part of the local body and they will learn what it means to be unconditionally accepted and loved. Just like the best family. So what, what does it mean to be family? Um, I think families meet natural needs. Families protect, provide, and train. And I think this local church is meant to be a place where there's protection, where there's guidance, where, where, where training occurs, where provision is made. Uh, we think of our earthly families when, when they're functioning well, all these things are present. You know, you, you are provided for in, in your physical family. You know, they, they teach you how to live. They teach you the right way to live. They, they instruct you when family is, is functioning correctly. They, they protect you. You know, I, I know there's things I would say about and to my brothers <laughs> or my sister. Now, I wouldn't probably ever say anything to my sister because I'm a little afraid of her. Uh, but, but there's things I would say to my family, maybe, 
that if somebody else said it, it would be fighting words, right? Anybody else like that? That, that? that I can say these things, but you better not say that about my family. You know, we, we get really protective of our family. I know as a pastor, you could say almost anything about me. I, you know, I, I, trust me, I've not heard anything worse in the, in, as a pastor as I have as a lawyer. <laughs> I heard a lot worse things when I was practicing law than I hear in the church. It's like baby talk um, compared to some of the things that I heard in that. But, but talk, start talking about my family. And, and then it's another thing. I can get really mother uh, hen, rather, rather protective really quick with my family. And all of us are like that. And the church should be like this. The, the, the church, if the church is a family, then we should protect, provide, and train. That this should be a place where people feel safe and protected and provided for, where, where we see needs. We don't just leave those needs and say, oh, that's somebody else's problem. It's our problem because it's family. You know, imagine if your brother, your sister, your child was suffering and in need, would you leave him there or would you try to do the best you could to meet that need? And I understand that's a high expectation. And, and, and I trust you to allow God to guide when and if you should do something when you see needs in the congregation. Amen? Uh, you guys are adults and you know, I, I trust that you, you pray for the Holy Spirit to just give you guidance. Uh, there's times, even this week, I'm driving home from um, seeing Darlene at the hospital, and I, I'm outside the hospital. I'm pulling onto Avery Road from that road by the Crow, where you guys know where I'm at, and there's a lady standing there with a sign. You know, you see him on the sign, almost homeless, you know, need money. And I got to tell you, most of the time, and I'm going to be real transparent here, I, I don't give in those situations because most of the time I think drugs, right? Right? <laughs> you guys are looking at me with guilt now like I should be doing it. I don't. You know, I, I, I very rarely give in those settings. But I looked at this lady and something within me said, you've got $4 in your pocket. You hand it to her. And I did. Okay. I believe the Holy Spirit can guide us in these kind of things if we are obedient to Him. Now, now maybe it was just an emotion I was wrong, but I'll trust something within me speaking saying, do something. <laughs> and if I was wrong in doing, if it, if it wasn't necessary, I would rather err on that side than being disobedient to what I felt like the Spirit was saying to me in the moment. We need to protect and provide for one another. And we need to have an awareness of the Spirit's voice within us when we see needs and hear of needs and, we, and we're obedient to that when God speaks. Families love. Now, when I think about love, there, there's all sorts of aspects of love. I think love is this sense of belonging. Uh, with, with my, in the Mills clan, I belong. <laughs> You know, I don't have to find my role. I don't have to prove my part. When the Millses get a family picture and they all gather and get the picture together, I don't sit and wait for somebody to invite me to be in the picture. I belong. I'm part of the family. You know, I, I, I know that I'm accepted. Even, and I know no one in this 
congregation has ever been there. But in my past, I've done stupid things. Sometimes it's been sinful stupid things. Sometimes it's just been stupid things. And even in my stupidity, my family has accepted me. My my family has provided for me. I, I can remember when we were growing up, if there were two pieces of pie and there were two kids and my dad... My dad would say something oh, like, I really didn't want pie anyhow. <laughs> now, as a child, I would think, man, isn't that amazing? Dad never wants pie when there's not enough for all. That's awesome. It just means I get pie. <laughs> but as I've grown older, we all realize that that was because he saw my needs, my wants, as more important than his needs and his wants. You know, that's a biblical picture of the church. Where we don't consider our needs more important than other people's needs. Mature believers in Jesus Christ have an awareness that if they can meet the needs of someone else, that somehow all that they want or desire is not as important. I thought I'd get at least one amen there, but that's okay. That's something I needed. Um, But you realized I didn't, so you didn't give it to me. Thank you very much for being attentive. Um, is this awkward now? We always got an awkward moment, didn't we? <laughs> I love awkward moments. Uh, just preach it. Okay. Uh, the needs of others are more important than my needs in family and in church. That, that, that if somehow out of my resources, someone can, can, a need can be met, then I'm willing to give up some of my rights. See, it's, it's all about love. It's all about love expressed. And, and ultimately, this is about this, this ideal of agape love. And agape love is this love that's expressed unilaterally. And it's not about what I want and what I can get, but it's, it's practically and really meeting the needs of others through my own resources. And so, so God practiced this, right? You understand that, that God, out of his own resources, sent Jesus. He met a need that we could could not meet. We, we could not make our way to salvation and relationship with God. We, we, are we all tracking here? That that's, God saw us where we were and he sent us a savior. He sent us Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. God met this need that we couldn't meet. That is uni, unilateral agape love. And we practice that. But that is not the point. So what, pastor? Agape, unilateral agape love is not the point. No, God sent his son and he would have done it whether we accepted his love or not, right? You understand that? That, that God, God's love was not contingent on our response. But he sent his son anyhow in the hope and the belief that we can achieve this highest level of love where we love God back. See, I believe that families are places of unconditional love mutually expressed. Reconciliation. That is the point of all that God has done. God's point, God's driving us to, drawing us to this point of reconciliation where God is loving us and we are loving him back. That is the point. 
but I believe it's beyond our vertical relationship with God, and it includes our horizontal, horizontal relationships as well. See, see, we are called to love like God. Amen? You know, we're called to practice this unilateral, agape love, meeting the needs of others through our own resources. But, but I don't believe that's the point, that, that God wants us to just be giving love, but God, like our relationship with God, He is calling us to a point where we are reconciled with one another. Where, where I'm loving Jody and Jody's loving me back. It's not dependent on what she does. It's not dependent on what I do. But we're loving each other. And that is what family looks like. And that's what the church should look like. Mutual love expressed. If our church is a family, then we should love. Now, now, sometimes that looks like unilateral agape love. And, and we're just loving people and we're accepting them and they belong and, 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 and they're supported even though they may not be doing things absolutely to our standard. Do you realize as the church, we are not called to do the work of the Holy Spirit, but we're called to love like Jesus? Folks, the Holy Spirit convicts. Uh, and, and, and I think too often we get so caught up because the Holy Spirit doesn't convict to our liking. We're called to love. We're called to teach truth. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that we don't teach truth, but, but oftentimes this teaching truth strays to the point of, well, they're not moving quick enough for me, so let me do what the Holy Spirit apparently can't in their life. You know, I love the story of the prodigal son, and Dylan told me that, and I don't know, maybe it's just a college thing, but he said at, at Treveca, every chapel speaker has preached on the prodigal son, and he's so sick of hearing that portion of Scripture. I said, and Dylan's my middle son, he's at Treveca in Nashville. I said, that's great, this summer when you come home, I'm going to preach a whole series on it just for you. And, uh, <laughs> but I love the story because the imagery of the story is a, really that the key figure in the story is not so much the prodigal, but the older son. This is who Jesus is trying to get the point. The, the older son, you know, stayed back and he's done all the right things and the prodigal comes home and he's just accepted and loved. And the older son's all upset because the prodigal belongs just like anyone else. I think that's sometimes the image that we get in the church, that, that people begin to come in and we look at their sins and we look at their failures and we look at how they've been sleeping with pigs. <laughs> and we don't want to love them and accept them like God is loving and accepting them. See, in my family, in your family, for most of us, when you made mistakes, when you failed, and you came home... <laughs> They loved you just the same. Amen? Amen? That is the family of God. That is the image of the church. I believe, for the most part, I, I do. I believe we practice that here. I, I have heard so many compliments on how accepting and how loving you folks are. That, that, that people can come and they belong and you, you, you include them and you, you love on them and, and it's great, but we can be more. Amen? 
we can do more. See, family love is not a depletable asset. It's not something, love is not something that as you love, you lose your ability to love. It's, you know, there, there are, you know, in aspects of, of practically how we love, there are limits. There's things that, that, that's limited in, in our ability to love. We, we love through our, our time and our energy and our money and our resources. And, and these things are limited. But family love is not depletable. It's, it doesn't depreciate. It doesn't grow less as you love more. You know, think, think of your family. In February, February 8th of 1992, Terry and I got married at Springdale Church of Nazarene, the same place on the same platform that my son just got married this past July. A weird, weird dynamic to be doing a wedding there after I got married there. So we got married February 8th, 1992, and, and, and we began to love each other. And then on March 17th, 1994, Wyatt was born. And he was born at 4.50 on a Thursday between the afternoon sessions and the evening sessions of the NCAA tournament, the first round. It was awesome. You know, at Terry's request, we had basketball playing on the monitors and the TVs. And, and uh, you know, I was telling her, hey, breathe, what's the score? Um, you know, we, we, and, you know he, he was such a, a great kid that he waited till the game was over to be born. You know what? My love for Terry didn't grow less because I started loving Wyatt. <laughs> you know, it just increased. It, it, it just continued to grow. And, and then on December 11th, on 12-11, at 11-12, <laughs> Dylan was born, 1996. Just a little over two years later. And, and you know what? You know, Dylan came into the world, and, and I loved Terry probably more, uh, at least as much, if not more, than I loved Wyatt as much, if not more. And I loved Dylan as much as I loved them. Then on March 5th, 2002, and I, we don't remember the time, and Spencer always throws it in our face. It was sometime during March 5th, 2002, Spencer was born. And we loved him as much as we loved the others, if not more. And we just continued, the love just continued to grow. And then in July of this year, Wyatt married Priscilla, and, and we love Priscilla, and we're so excited. She's part of our family, and, and, and I'm assuming at some point there's going to be like grandkids. Uh, Terry and I aren't having any more, praise the Lord. But there's going to be grandkids and spouses, and each one we're going to love, right? You guys have experienced this? You know what I'm talking about? Mom often says, she'll say, you know, we started with two, and now we're up to 45. <laughs> you know, family grows, and as the family grows, your love grows. I was talking to Mary Burke between services, and we, you know, she was in the first service. She said, you know, they've asked, they used to ask my mom about that, and, and she said there, there was 10 kids, or his mom or grandmother, I can't remember exactly who, who it was, but they, they would ask her, how did you just keep loving? Wasn't your love divided? And she said her mother would say, no, my love wasn't divided, it was multiplied. <laughs> I love that. See, in the church, we are a place where love is ever, ever expanding. There's always room to have more, love more in our families, and there's always room to love more in our church. And so the question of this series, and, and this is what I'm asking you to consider, do you have space for one more friend? See, I'm not, I'm not asking you as a congregation to embrace everybody that comes through these doors. That's impossible, right? 
but you have space for one more? I'm convinced that if we became a church that was consumed, that was open, that was willing just to make space for one more person, one more space at the table, it would revolutionize this church. I'm convinced it would transform us and it would make us radical hospitality that we were always on the lookout for just one more person to include and love. So we're doing some things. I, you can't program this, right? Right? You can't program love and friendship. It's impossible. But we can give you some, some space and some opportunities for this to occur. What we're talking about 90 together, and 90 together is basically the ideal that, 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 that I would like to see every individual in this church commit to finding 90 minutes with others together each week. That gives you space for fellowship. It gives you space for prayer. It gives you space for, for Bible study. It gives you space for, to, to get to know each other and, and, and this space that friendships and fellowship and love can occur. And so I've encouraged some open houses and I've got five. I think I got a, a text during uh, Sunday school for a sixth one. We've got five or six open houses that, that'll be in December and we're encouraging you just to kind of get into people's homes, get to know each other. We're encouraging small group hosts and small group leaders. And I've not had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I'm willing to be a small group host or a small group leader. So it means that I'm going to be coming to some of you <laughs> uh, to look for some, some involunteer, involuntary volunteers. Is that what we call it? Because I believe that it's in the context of these small groups that we can spend the time with one another that we can invest in one another, that we can get to know one another, that, that friendships and, and relationship, deep relationships can begin to occur. And then we've been closing with communion, each service. I, I saw this past week where a pastor said, he closes every service with communion. And the one thing it does is every week it reminds people the point of it all. It reminds them of cross, and Jesus, and, and what Jesus did so that we could be reconciled with him. Every time we serve communion, we're reminded that Jesus came and died on a cross, not just to die on a cross, and not just to die a good death, but that so somehow we can be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. So every week when we receive this, I hope in your mind that you're reminded of that. But more than that, I think communion reminds us that we do this together. See, see, as we've gathered in this room and we receive these elements and we're reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this isn't something that we do on our own, but we do it as a family. With, with God at the head of the table, we dine together and we reflect and we rejoice and we're thankful. You, you realize communion's a Thanksgiving meal, right? That's what it means. Communion, Eucharist is thanksgiving. We take it somber, and I, I understand why it's somber, but this is a rejoiceful, thankful meal. We have been redeemed. We have been reconciled with our Heavenly Father, and we are forever eternally thankful. Amen? <laughs> and now are we redeemed, and reconciled with him, we're reconciled with each other. And there's this possibility 
this vision of God for you and for me that somehow we can live as the family of God where, where love is real, where when there's failure, there's forgiveness. Stop and think about it. God has given you the possibility to forgive. It's awesome. And we sit at this table together. Well, we don't do this as a, a private act or a personal thing. And, you know, at communion sometimes we receive like that. But we do this as the body. And we're reminded that Jesus' sacrifice has done something, not just to us personally, but to us as a community, as a congregation, as the body of Christ. We're going to dismiss you from the back. And um, in the middle, this is for those with gluten allergies. We have some gluten-free if you need that. And, and then you'll, you'll receive the cup and go back to your seat, and I'll give you instruction from there.
I love to watch as you receive communion because you know it's always this this reminder that that we've all tracked different paths to get here <laughs> that, that nobody's journey is the same and and yet somehow God in his majesty in his love has brought us together to this place here and now now I don't believe that there's anybody here this morning that it's an accident that that, that God's not involved and uh, and you being here that God doesn't have a plan even for this moment this day and and so God wants to weave this into your journey into something significant and so I'm reminded of this scripture out of 1 Peter. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. We have been redeemed with a price. Jesus died so that we could be reconciled with our Heavenly Father and reconciled with each other. Eat, be thankful. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And Christ shed His own blood so that we could be forgiven. And so drink and be thankful. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks. You are good. There's none like you. There's none good like you. You love us. You pursued us. You sent our Son to die in our place. And so now we are redeemed. We are the children of God. Adopted into the family of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Help us to live to that standard. To not accept lust. To, to not go through the motions, to not somehow, Lord, get so caught up in, in just the details of life that we miss the fullness of life. Help us to love one another and to love you, Lord. And, and Lord, help us to be your salt and light wherever we go today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.